My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. There's no real substitute for water in the desert. And that's just why I love it so much. It is it's honest. It's bare. What you see is what you get for the most part. There are aspects of the desert that are extremely mysterious, the things you wouldn't see. But for the most part, for the, for the tangible aspects of it, you get what you see. And a man or a woman out there, the desert's going to burn you up. as an entire tribe or, or a group within that tribe or a clan and they harvested mesquite beans for weeks together in baskets and they harvested the swirl fruit for weeks on end as a group they dug canals everything was done as a group and we still do it today you know we, we build highways you know in our own system but you're not if people think they're going to survive by going out to the woods and pitching their tent or their camper and surrounding it with flares and having their AR-15, you're not, you're surviving, you know? Being an ethnobotanist, being someone who, who thrives and poses, survives on the land, you're, you're going to want a sustainable, peaceful existence. Long-term sustainability is the answer. And it's not fortifying and becoming violent and taking and defending and killing and pr- pr- protecting. There's a time for all that, don't get me wrong, but you're going to need to know how to grow something and help your navel heal. That's the answer, and it starts locally. We need more people involved with the important stuff of this world, I believe, right. uh, if we're going to survive this. being rounded up and they're about to be butchered in this country you know metaphorically speaking it's time to circle the wolves but at the same time we need to pull as many sheep with us as we can because they're the ones that are going to you know vote and and then pull us all down with them through fear and the sorcery and the, the smoke and mirrors and the Ill, illusions being constructed by these by these, these master sorcerers you know at some of the television companies and, and the big tech and all the crap that they roll out to us 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. On today's podcast, we spoke with Corey Daniels, the synchro mystic mind from the phoenixenigma.com. He is a master at shedding light on the occult aspects of his surroundings, Phoenix, Arizona. We got into a lot of deep stuff today. He spent a lot of time in the desert, a place with some really harsh conditions, hard lessons, and some really great secrets to uncover. We got into ancient cultures, we got into the Freemasons, Geomancy, and what's going on in the past uh, year or two with politics and the pandemic, the occult. I'm here on this lovely show, and I'm happy that you're here with us. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Corey Daniels. And if you like the show and you want to show us some love, go over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC, where Mr. Francisco, our new producer, just signed up. Shout out to you, sir. We really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll hear from him on the show uh, pretty soon coming up uh, once his uh, first month clears he is a producer on the show Uh, what that means we will define that uh, in due time but if you want to sign up and be a producer on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast join i i don't think kevin can do it alone i can't so thank you buddy for joining and uh yeah stick around for this amazing conversation with Corey daniels the man behind the phoenix enigma you can go there Get some articles, some videos, he live streams. You can find us, rockfin.com. I got a new computer on the way. I'm going to be live streaming pretty soon. We also got a YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, I appreciate that you found the show here on YouTube. But please download a podcast app, search Podcast Index. And then once you search Podcast Index, download an app that's not going to censor this podcast. Because guess what? YouTube already took one episode off of our YouTube channel. So, you know, I don't really plan on sticking around there. It's a great way to reach new listeners. But please do yourself a favor and stay in touch with the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast the best way you can by going over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC, or go to Podcast Index, find yourself a podcasting 2.0 app, and listen to the podcast that way. Now, I'm not talking about Apple. I'm not talking about Spotify. Yes, I do like Spotify. I listen to music on Spotify, and I appreciate everybody listening on Spotify. But folks, you got to find a different app. I use Podcast Addict. That's the best way to stay in touch with uh, podcasts because there is going to come a day where YouTube, you know, these tactics of censoring, it's going to bleed over into the podcasting realm. And you're going to see Apple and Spotify as the uh, first culprits when it comes to uh, censoring information and censoring speech. And, you know, if your family thinks you're crazy, uh, it's probably because you're interested in this type of stuff. So, Please do yourself a favor, listen to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast on a podcasting 2.0 certified app. And uh, again, thank you so much for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode with Corey Daniels from the Phoenix Enigma. Again, a master at de-occulting, right? We're going to get into that today, folks. And if you don't know what that means, that's fine. Over to the phoenixenigma.com and learn more. Tune into this conversation and uh, and many more to come. I definitely plan on having him back on the show. 
Michael Wan and I do a show together now. We got to get Ross Ben on the show soon. Uh, Court Lindahl's another guy who's very synchro mystic who I want to have on the show. And then Chris Knowles is another synchro mystic who we got to have back on the show. So there it is, folks. I hit on all the points, everything, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Corey Daniels, the man behind the Phoenix Enigma. He's conducting tours in Phoenix in the Arizona area. Corey, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How have you been lately? I've been um, busy, which is, is weird. And this, I'm not even going to call it the new normal. It just ticks me off and it makes me want to swear, start a revolution. But in this, in this cluster that we're currently living in, you know, things got all turned upside down. And uh, I think people are finding new ways to struggle and get through it. And some people just sur- survive what's going on. It's really shaken up a lot of our work and a lot of the traveling we used to do and the norms, you know, that we've all grown up with and experienced. I think we're living in very pivotal times in this country. I think freedom as we know it is about to be redefined just uh, much the same way it was after 2001. Mm. And uh, no matter you know, after 9-11, but no matter what you do in this world, this 2021 has impacted everybody in the way we way we work and operate and our opportunities, you know, and business and everything. So I'm in the tourism industry. industry. I'm a freelance contracted independent certified interpretive guide, my full title. And people come from all over to tour, you know, they want to see the Grand Canyon, they want to see Sedona. I take people on tours that I generate from my website and fans and whatnot. And uh, the COVID thing has really kind of turned something upside down. So had a lot of time to do some research at home, researching stuff. And, but then again, we dove deep into the internet and dove deep into our channels and people began expanding their channels and working on that when we all got locked down in, you know, January, 2020. But then a lot of us got kicked off of YouTube. A lot of us got kicked off of Facebook. A lot of us got kicked off of Twitter. I'm I'm still on Twitter, but I've lost uh, the, the two mentioned before that as well as the Patreon. Just surviving, man, and kind of seeing where this whole crazy train is going to go. Yeah, a lot of my time recently has been devoted to covering the COVID, the pandemic, and the, well, the erosion of our freedoms. That's kind of what I've been doing primarily. You know, I did a ton of deal culting. I, I, I am a deal cultist. Just go to my website. You'll see, you'll know what that means. But we take the occult and we apply it to modern day um, politics and uh, current events, and we deconstruct what's happening in the media and uh, current affairs. And we uh, look at it through a lens of ancient esoteric occulted knowledge. They've been doing quite a bit of that this last year. Mm, right. And that, yeah, I can see you got the the war room here on the phoenixenigma.com. It really looks like a, a great place for resources, you know, and all sorts of different yeah. information. I'm, I'm guessing that's part and parcel because of the lockdown. You put some more uh, stuff on the website there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my website, the started out a place to put all my essays and my research and my writing about Phoenix, mm. uh, about the deep desert, you know, my hub and where we're going to get back to very soon here. I want to get back to Arizona, uh, back to where the old West meets occulted knowledge and the pioneers who came out west from the founding father of Phoenix, Swilling, Jack Swilling, and Lord Daryl Dupa, 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemason, right? He's buried in the uh, Masonic Pioneer Cemetery next to great, uh, Benjamin Franklin's grandson. You know, those characters, the first governor of Arizona is buried in a, in, a, in a capstone right next to the Phoenix Zoo. The father of Arizona, they call it, Charles Postone, buried in a pyramid on Hunt's Highway. 
out east of Phoenix. So this kind of stuff is what really interests me. And the website was founded about these mysteries, about where they tie in with the Native Americans and um, the Masons and the infrastructure that went in in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Early 1900s. That's kind of where I like to be. But I use my platform as well for current events and whatnot. You know, this COVID thing, when you understand what COVID is or the, the, the pandemic, it's infuriating to see what's happening. We're very passionate about that. And every time we come live, we're on six platforms cur- cur- currently, and we do broadcast about three to four times per week. And we have pretty long broadcasts, two, two, to, two to four hours lives. We cover quite a bit of COVID news. And you just can't research it and not come to the conclusion that we're being set up for a tube shot that it's not about a virus, it's about control. You know, that's where we're all moving. And there's something big coming, something big coming in. And, and yeah, and, and that, that does tie in with the occult. It does tie in with the, with the, with the overall grand plan of the, the managing of the herd, of the human, you know, condition. Right. And that's what all this, you know, this is, I've researched for uh, seven years now, and it all ties in. It, it does tie in. So on the website, I got the war room, and you can go to the war room, and it gives you uh, tools on how to help fight some of this stuff, books and resources, some child trafficking, spiritual warfare, preparedness, political action, digital security, and the COVID truth awareness room. So, Now, I'm remembering pre-COVID, there was this time mm-hmm. when, you know, Kobe Bryant obviously passed away and there were a bunch of videos that came out de-occulting his death. And I found mm-hmm. it, you know, very interesting. I'm sure many other people did. I wasn't alone in this. The synchronicity of the name Kobe and then COVID. And there's like some sort of connection through Hebrew. You know, that was the first. I'm sure that was, that's the first of many. What other angles have you picked apart in this COVID mess? You know, obviously it's not, it's not something that they were able to put together overnight. So I'm sure the sigils and the different occult rituals that you're parsing through is more than just the Kobe death. What, what happened next? I mean, is there anything more to add to the Kobe death or or that time period pre when everything really got serious pre March? You know, that really was a weird time with a Kobe, um, with the death of, of, of Kobe Bryant. That was a very strange time. If I recall, there there was a lot of tie-ins, with Kobe, some of his, his philanthropic, right. You know, he was, a what was it? What was that group? He was a member of, well, he had the, the black Mamba company. And I guess there was like a pharmaceutical company of the same name, or they had a product of the same name, black Mamba. That's, that's as far as I remember. There's probably more though. Yeah, no, there, there was, he was a member of, I want to say the umbrella, the, the lifeboat foundation. Mm. I think it's called the Lifeboat Foundation. I, I don't take my word for it, but I, I believe that's what it is there. And he was a, a contributing member. They were Epstein was a member of that, the Lifeboat. I think it was, I think it's the Lifeboat Foundation. I'll Google that real quick and see what you come up with. But if you if you go to the Lifeboat Foundation, it's about like off world. It's about like catastrophic storms and one second Lifeboat Foundation. Yeah, safeguarding safeguarding humanity. The Lifeboat Foundation. So it is the Lifeboat Foundation is a nonprofit. He was a member of this thing here, uh, dedicated to encouraging scientific advancements while helping humanity survive existential risks and possible misuse of increasing powerful technology, including genetic engineering, nanotech, robotics, i.e., um, sorry, AI as we move towards the singularity. Wow. 
Yeah. So it's a pretty, he, he was getting involved in that. That's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And when you go to the Lifeboat Foundation and you see all of the, uh, the board of directors, it's some heavy hitters, some heavy hitters on there. But I know Epstein was on there, you know, and Epstein, uh, and I know well, I de-occulted him as well, his death. Epstein was, was out at the uh, King Ranch, and he, was, he had 12 girls, young girls. He was trying to create this master race. He was trying to, he was breeding. He had his own breeding program, like for real, yeah. not hearsay. Like he really had this breeding program going on with all these young girls, and he had this plan that he was going to like, you know, and he was a member of the Lifeboat Foundation. So it got weird. I think Kobe was involved in some weird stuff. I really do. To what extent, I'm not exactly sure. But when you, when you look at the cartoon, remember the cartoons, it was, oh, what was it here? The end of days cartoon, Legends of Chamberlain Heights. And it had the, the helicopter crash right. with the Masonic thing, right? And uh, Kobe Bryant gets out and it was all so weird. It was all so weird. Had the mountains and the smoke on it. I'm looking at it right now. The red shoes and, you know, the Pope and the red shoes. People are interested. They can go check it out. We tied all that stuff together. The recordings, even the, the the helicopter itself, didn't match up with the other one, I believe, as well. So, yeah, and even down to like no. the Calabasas, where where the you know where the helicopter crashed was in alignment with like the school or the district that he you know started his basketball career in or, or was raised in. Very very yeah. strange stuff. Yeah, it was all extremely weird. It was all extremely strange. You know what that? It to me, it looked like it. It, it, it looked like like a ritual. It, it it looked like a ritual uh, sacrifice to me. You know, I think I got into his daughters too. If I remember right, the ages of the daughters were had something going. This is a God, it was only last year, but man, it seems like it was forever ago that we did all this research. Oh yeah, his number was thirty three, right? Bryant, 33. Mm. Uh, Kobe died 33 days after Christmas. His number was 30 for the birth of the son, S-U-N or the S-O-N. Uh, the victims here, the, uh, the crash happened on January 26, 2020, come up to 13 on the 33rd day of the solar year. Solar day after, after Christmas. This is the high signature again, or the 133. I, I found something in all the work I've been doing for years and years. If you go to my website, you can type in the high signature. And it is 133. That's the, the, the number. And uh, Nipsey Hustle, you find it in the in the, uh, the 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 Nipsey Hustle sacrifice. You find it all over the place. And it's the marrying together of the 13 and the 33. And it's they share the same three. 133. So it's 13 and 30, 33 sharing the same three. If you if you know any Masons and talk to them, they'll tell you that their Bibles are always opened up to Psalms 133. That when they open up their Masonic Bible. On the on the altar of the Masonic Lodge, it's always opened up to one thirty three, and it's because it talks about brothers. And read it for if you want. Please do. Behold, how it's called the beauty of the unity of the brethren, a song of degrees of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down. Upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirt of garments as the dew of Hermon and, and as the dew of the descended upon the mountains of Zion for there our Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And uh, 133 is, um, I believe it is a sanctioned event. Wherever you find 133, 
in these public rituals, these public sacrifices, I believe it is a signing off, a sanctioning of the high signature of the Masonic um, lodges. Or, or I'm, I'm going to assume it's Masonic lodges because it's so tied, but it could very well be. And I discussed this with a, a Mason not, not long ago. I discussed this with a 32nd degree Mason not too long ago, in fact. And he said, you know, Masons are a lot of things. I said, yeah, I know. I know there's uh, masonry is a lot of things to a lot of people at different times in their, their lives. He goes, all the Masons I know, they're, they're not involved in the stuff that you're talking about. But at the same time, I'm listening to you and you're not wrong in what you're saying. All the knowledge that all the events that you're telling us about here, they are Masonic and they are scripted into what you're talking about. I, I, I never noticed it. But at the same time, I don't know anyone who would do it. And I said, do you think people are being recruited from your ranks? He said, that's an absolute possibility. You know, we do take good men. We, 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 we make them better. And we are steeped in esoteric and occulted knowledge. We are honed to be the best we can be in business and in friendship and in trustworthiness, keeping our word. So if you needed someone to do something, yeah, we're, we're a tight-knit, good old boy network that can get shit done. And uh, we have that occulted knowledge to boot. So it, he said, maybe there are nefarious groups above us or the side of us that are pulling from our ranks. He said, I wouldn't doubt it. I, I, you know, so I found very interesting coming from a 32nd degree Mason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I flirted a little bit with the, with the idea of joining the local Freemasonic lodge. And luckily Sam Tripoli came and recruited me into the tinfoil hat fold. So all of my, (laughs) you know, any, any inkling of that kind of went out the doorway and yeah, I found it really strange how, What it seems to me, and I'm sure this is really even more present where you're at, but what it seems to me is the Freemasons do sort of a a job of maintaining their version of local history, right down to the name of the lodge. Usually they'll incorporate, at least in New England, they'll incorporate either the local tribe that used to have this area theirs into the name of the lodge, or it will be in a place that was significant to the Native Americans in that town. So I started seeing this over and over, a Freemasonic building with the front door facing the town, the whatever river ran through that town, like over and over and over again. That seems to be the theme, you know, just based on, you know, a very minimal analysis of, of place, rivers seem to play a big role. And I know that Phoenix is no different. It's the confluence of what, how many, like six or seven rivers all flow through Phoenix? Six. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when you have these sorts of indicators in the landscape, you know, it seems to me that there aren't any coincidences and they're placing these lodges in specific spots of a lodge. My girlfriend and I just visited the other day not in any formal sort of way, is on these ledges called the Orinoke Rocks. And it's in this part of um, Connecticut that is ancient, meaning 400 years old plus. There's been a a colonial settlement. And it's very strange because it's called the, the Temple of Solomon's Lodge in Woodbury, Connecticut. And it's the only lodge I've ever seen built on top of a rock ledge. You know, like that classic, like temple on the mound kind of vision, and 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 all, on top of that, it, it's named Solomon's. You know, it's a Solomon's. How, how do you spell the or Orinoke Rocks? Orinoke Rocks. Yeah, that? it's O R E N A U G. Orinoke Rocks, and it's in Woodbury, Orinog. Connecticut. And they're and they're not like anything you know too 
you know, out of the ordinary as far as rock ledges go. I mean, they're not like huge or, or noteworthy for their size, but it is, you know, not a typical feature of the land for people to build on top of, you know, just like, and their stairs go right along the ledge. So that to me was an example of like, hmm, okay, maybe they're utilizing the local energy somehow here. Well, you know, it's uh, funny you mentioned that. If you go to Sedona, Arizona, which, as you know, is known for its, its vortice, that's plural for a vortex, there is, well, the canyon, Oak Creek Canyon runs up to Sedona. And go to my website again if you want, go to the Sedona vortex, there's a vortice, I put, put that on there. And there's a map I got on there of the actual vortex points shooting right up the fault line. The fault line runs I don't know, kind of at a, not a 45, but at an angle up that, up the, the, the valley and it cuts the other valley, Oak Creek coming down. There's one vortice, there's one vortex going up airport Mesa road. They had to put the airport on the flattest piece of ground they could find. The flattest piece of ground in the area was on, on this Mesa. That's an, ex, you, you know, Mesa, some people up from the West don't know what it is, but it's where the land comes up and it's flat up on top. It's called a Mesa, Spanish for table. And about halfway up is this vortex there called the airport Mesa vortex. And it's the one that I feel is probably one of the most powerful. It's also one of the most easily accessible vortex uh, vortices in the area. But if you go to the top of that road and kind of come back, the Masonic Lodge is like, it's like less than a hundred yards away up, up, up on top there. And I, I thought, huh, interesting. Interesting that the Masons would put their lodge this close to one of the vortex. But then you look back at the old world, you know, all the pagans, all the self, they had all of their, all their, their temples on these specific ley lines, these, uh, these power areas. And what happened when the Christians came in, they conquered them, killed everyone off, and they built their churches right on top of these ancient altars. Look where CERN is at right now, right? CERN is on top of, what is it, the, the ancient uh, temple of Apollo. I, I, I believe it's Apollo. It's built right there, like right on top of it. You know, and then when the Muslims or the Muslims, uh, yeah, when when the when, when the Moors came in and the, the Muslims came in and conquered, they they tore down the churches and they put them right on top of they put their mosque on top there, and the Christians killed the Muslims and put their churches. So it's the areas that are uh, strong, you know. And, and, and if you want to take this in a totally different direction, but uh, a perfect similitude, look at money. You know, you know, true power comes from the earth whether you're building churches and temples or whether you're talking about economics, right? Money is the non-perishable form of trade that's not easily re reproducible through, through alchemy. That's the def that's one of my favorite definitions of, of, of money. Currency is the worthless shit in your pocket that represents that money. But wealth can only be derived from the earth. Lumber, land, food, vegetables, cattle, right? A mineral. That's wealth. So anything, and, and that's why the founding fathers put into the U.S. Constitution. They put life, liberty, well, Jefferson did, life, liberty, and the ownership of property. It wasn't happiness. It was life, liberty, and the ownership of property because they knew that without property, no one could attain any level of wealth, and you could never be happy because you would always be a subject. You'd always be a serf. Uh, and that later got changed to the pursuit of, of, of happiness because happiness was equivalent with owning property. So, yeah. Uh, we are living in a four-dimensional world, three-directional dimensions and one time, if you take the Einstein definition of this dimension. And we are in a very tangible, hands-on, physical world, and we are reliant upon the earth. Now, I wear this necklace here. This is my, people have crucifixes, people have all kinds of stuff. I have the solar cross here. 
That's mine. You know, I used to practice magic back in the, the, uh, the day. I was a very competent witch before I stopped practicing. And I grew through my re- re- religion. And I now practice what I call tangible witchcraft. And it's, I've incorporated the lessons of and the physics of the belief system and my knowledge base into everyday actions, much the same way an Aikido master would uh, utilize his knowledge and work it into everything. You know, see, a, a man who's mastered an art reveals it in his every action. Well, you know, and in, in, in my personal view perspective, we're, we live in a very tangible, hands-on physical world here. And, you know, I've chosen to em- embrace that, embrace the tangibleness of this world. And, you know, business, money, finance, housing, happen- everything is derived from the earth. Mm. And that's what the four signifies. And, and magic, the four cardinal directions, right? The four elements that, so it's, it's kind of central to my belief system. That's kind of where I come from on a lot of my, my philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, you know, it shows talking to you that you are a man of many, many knowledge bases and, and, and where they all meet. So I'm hoping we can take this back a little bit. You know, I, I seem sure. to be a little bit obsessed with land lately, but for you, I mean, that tangible witchcraft is something you gained through experience, through mentors, and through interacting mm-hmm. with the tangible real world, hence the name, I'd imagine. So yeah. what what initially drew you to explore the desert? You know, living in New England, there's really nothing to compare to the like vast expanses of the desert. So it's really just like a, a place I've only imagined, and it's extremely extremely interesting i hope to be there one day but get you know help us understand this a little better like what initially drew you to the magic of the desert and and what were some of like the sober realities that you faced because you know you get this fantasy in your head and then quickly that gets shattered and replaced but over time if you stick with it and I'll stop talking now and let you go ahead. But you, you see where I'm getting at here, where, where you know, you, you create this ideal in your head and then the new ideal that's formed after actually experiencing something, it's kind of like hard to convey through words. It's really something you can only experience. But take us to that moment when, when you're first drawn to the desert. So, you know, if you, if you study something and live it fully and long enough, you'll eventually come full circle. You always will. You know, the in karate, uh, you start out as a white belt, right? And depending on your discipline, you'll go to uh, yellow, green, and, and the American system of brown and black, you know, all the way up. And then uh, second degree black belt is a black belt with a white thin stripe down the center. And as you go, thin stripe in the center, is there, is there on the edge? Yeah, well, when I was a student, I think it was it, in the center, but I think it might vary based on classes. I wasn't yeah. a karate guy, but I think it, it's, you know, it's per school. Yeah. I, I remember as you as you get higher in your degree black belt, the uh, the white um, spreads because uh, it's the, the black becomes white. I'm sorry, I guess in the, the the studio that I was in, it was white on the edges, and it, it it frayed and it showed the fraying because back in the old days, a man would wear his black belt, and as he wore it year after year, it was frayed and they used the the, the the same belt, and it showed that you were a seasoned black belt, and it eventually became white again or pure. That's what the black belt sig- sig- signifies. You're learning how to how to how to kill. And the, that dark knowledge and that belt signifies that. But as you maintain a black belt, you become so strong and capable, you learn how to utilize uh, your strength without ever striking a blow and you become pure again. And, you know, people will do that if they live long enough and they study long enough and pay attention and not just go through the motions of this world. 
my story began with mowing lawns in Phoenix. I was born in North Phoenix, Arizona. And my father told me to go out and mow lawns like the age of like 11 or 12, somewhere in there. He said, you're not going to sit around during the summers, go out and here's a lawnmower and go mow lawns. And so I mowed about, I don't know, five to 10 lawns a week at that age, saving up money for a car I was eventually going to get. And this lady, Mrs. and Mr. Slack, S-L-A-C-K, they were down the road and I got that account and I mowed their lawn for about two years, front and back. And he was a slave driver. And uh, he eventually passed away and she was living alone. And my dad came one day and said, hey, you're going to go to Mrs. Slack's house tomorrow and you're not going to charge her. You're not going to take any more of her money because she's a widow, but you're going you're gonna to keep mowing her lawn. I'm like, well, that ain't fair. You know, that, that ain't right. It's like, well, that's what we have to do and, and that's what's going to happen. So I went there and she tried to pay me. I said, ma'am, I can't take your money. I'm, you know, kind of your widow and all. And she laughed. She said, okay, tell you what, you come in every, for lunch. I'll, I'll, I'll make you lunch then every, every time. I said, great. Now, Mrs. Slack had this garden in the backyard and she had a onion garden and a garlic garden and a lavender and a sage. She had all these European, borage, thyme, marjoram's and savory. She had all these European herbs. I thought it was the coolest thing to go smell them. I'd pinch them and smell them. And it was my first real interaction with herbs, you know. And, and her house was a little kind of a little bit witchy. For all I know, she's probably a kitchen witch. And, um, but she was a lady. She was an English lady. And she would come in. And when she would cook me lunch, it would turn into like an hour or two-hour lesson in plant craft. How to plant herbs, what they're good for, how to prepare them, how to make infusions and decosions, poultices and salves and tinctures, how to pick borage flowers and candy and then freeze them for the summertime and stuff like that. Really cool lady. And then she taught me other cool stuff. She'd have me dig a hole in the backyard, a small hole, and then put the dirt back in it. And I used the shovel handle and I would, um, I would smooth it over, you know, ground, ground level. And she'd say, all right, now uh, come back tomorrow. I said, okay. And I came back tomorrow and the dirt had like convexed out. I said, what happened there? And she pointed up at the moon, you know, she says, it's a full moon. And when the moon is full, pulls on the earth, not just the water. I said, whoa. And then, you know, 14 days later, we dug another hole and we did it again. And the earth concaved in. And uh, she goes, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a new moon. I said, whoa. So she was teaching me all kinds of cool stuff like that. And uh, she eventually moved away. And I had this thirst for plants, you know, plants were everywhere. There's a term in, in botany, and, and I've, 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 I've since to go on and study ethnobotany, and that's one of my biggest passions in life, is the study of the relationship between plants and people for edible, medicinal, utilitarian, and spiritual purposes. That's one of my absolute favorite studies, and I'm a professional guide, so I get to talk about plants all day long in the, the desert. But plants don't run away, and they're always there, and without plants, we couldn't survive. And they are living beings, and you can get to know them and have uh, relationships with plants. Ask anyone who has house plants, you know, and you can use them for stuff, and you can heal them, and they um, get you high, put you in alter states of consciousness. They can teach you things, you know, like mushrooms, harmonium, if you want to play with that, which I don't recommend, or uh, any number of other different uh, peyote, you know, marijuana, whatever. But I knew that there were other plants out there in the desert, and we used to ride our bikes in the desert. You know, we, had, we live in the uh, Phoenix, uh, North Phoenix Mountain Preserve area. So there were mountains all around us. And, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was plant blind, though, called plant blind. It's where you walk, you know, most, most, most people are. They just walk down the road and they just like see plants. They might, they might know a palm tree or they might know an olive tree, but they just, they just see plants. They don't know what they are. It's called being plant blind in, in the b- botanical world. And I said to myself, you know, the Native Americans must have used all those plants out there. I wonder what they are. But it was like 1990, late 80s. 
And there was no books on ethnobotany that, at the time that I knew of. There was no internet. So you have to go to the, to, to the, the library and there were no books being put together about how to use plant craft in the area that I was in. So I searched and searched and um, found very little. And then one day I, I discovered the term ethnobotany. Again, the study of the relationship between plants and people. And I found the ethnobotany of the Zuni. So you know, tribe in public tribe in New Mexico. I found the ethnobotany of the Navajo and the Pima and the Tahano Odaham, you know, and I thought, there it is. And once I discovered that, I looked up in the colleges and found a couple of the professors that had been teaching it for, you know, a couple of decades. And a couple of books had been written in the mid nineties. And um, I just started digging into that. And that right there was my first love of the desert. When I knew I could go out and it was no longer a wild, savage wasteland. There was Bursage and there was, you know, teddy bear choya and there was jojoba and there was wolfberry and there was hackberry. And then you learn that there's, you know, 2000 species of plants in Arizona between all the five biomes that we have, five of the seven on earth. And out of those 2000 species of plants, 95% of them are edible or medicinal or both. Only 1% is poisonous and 4% are phytochemically inert. So you study this and then you learn your geology and then you learn that the people that used to live here for thousands of years and how they move through time in conjunction with the rivers. And like you said, rivers, I, I, I would like to flush that out and talk more about rivers in a little bit here, but the rivers and the land, and it's no longer a wilderness. It is, I feel more comfortable in the desert than I do in this living room right here where I'm at. Um, I know all the plants and I, I, I know their personalities. I know where they grow and I know what they mean. Um, and I know where they shouldn't grow. And that tells you a lot, you know, for instance, I'll say that there's a whole classification of plants called indicator plants. And they, of course, they indicate things, right? And we'll take uh, desert tobacco, punche. And punche grows around 1,400 foot elevation in disturbed soils, right? Because certain plants have to have the oils, in the in inhibitive oils that are put down on the surface stripped off or broken sand to where they can actually germ germinate it. Well, that's one such plant. You don't see it growing much higher about 1,400, 1,500 feet, maybe 2,000 tops, but you don't see it growing in undisturbed soils. So when you're on a cliffside at you know, 2,500 feet or 2,000 feet, or you're up on a mountainside, and you see some that growing, or detura is another one, you're like, yeah, you say, oh, the ground here has been destroyed within the last 150, 200 years. And because tobacco is a, it's a uh, psychoactive and because it is a anal analgesic topically and, you know, it relieves pain, people carry it around for medicine and the medicine men carried it and they used it as along with the detura. So when, when you see those plants growing at an elevated area on the side of a hill, you know that somebody brought it up there and you're probably 15, 20, 30 feet or yards from Indian ruins or an old mine that got dug out. So by knowing what plants grow where and where they shouldn't grow, you you can trace back human behavior a couple hundred years through the desert. And that's Side some of that posts into the past. Wow, that's that's really a new yeah. thought for me and it's really cool to think that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and and there's a number of plants that do that that have little different tricks like that. The saguaro cactus can live up to 300 years and um, you know, they they, they grow, once they hit about 15 years of age, their genes trigger and they'll grow about two to three inches per, per, per year. And they can, they, they vacillate about 15 to 20% of their girth as they suck up about 200 gallons of water a month during the rainy season. 
So when the monsoons come, they'll swell up. And then as they transpire the water during photosynthesis, they'll, they'll shrink back down slowly, right? That's what plants use water for, the photosynthesis process. So as they're growing two inches per year, they're also vacillating. So saguaro cactus will do that. That's, that's the big tall ones, the iconic saguaros with the arms, you know. And, and if you know how to read, we call those stress rings, you can tell where the droughts were how many years in the past. They also have a hide and they scar just like human uh, skin. So you can tell if there were hailstorms back in the day. Uh, certain birds, the Gila woodpecker, or the curved thrasher, they'll, 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 they'll drill holes in the side of the cactus, right? And we're at the 33rd degree parallel. The sun drops 22.5 degrees to the south in the, the wintertime. And the birds will drill on the south and southeast facing cacti in the winter to get the early rays of the sun to heat up the nest. But in the summertime, they'll drill on the north side of those cacti to keep the sun because the sun's about six degrees off center. And they don't want that. And because they drill two or three holes a year and they breed with several different uh, mates, the males, you can tell what type of year it was and the overall health maybe of the area in conjunction with the stress rings and how old it is. You can read two, 300 years back into the past. You can read, you can go into a pack rat's nest and that's what the, uh, and by the way, if you're ever in the West and you aren't an archeologist or anthropologist or a scientist and you're in a cave and there's a big nest of stuff in the back of it, don't touch it for the love of God. Don't touch it. That is a time capsule. And pack rats will they'll go digging. Don't go digging the back of the backs of cages. Those are just natural time capsules. And you can, you can reach 12,000 years into the past and see what plants were around and what was going on based on these pack rats. So it is a beautiful, amazing, complicated, wondrous, vivid, tangible world out there. And uh, there's so much to see. There's so many mysteries to, to explore yet. And there's so much to do. I don't know how anyone's ever bored in this world. I really don't. Don't. Yeah, man. But, I, um, I, yeah, I'm a little in awe of it. And, you know, here in New England, it, it does feel like there aren't many places that are remote anymore. And uh, that knowledge, because I, I definitely have a case of plant blindness. I mean, I'm not the average person, but, you know, I, I have definitely a long way to go before I'm able to identify plants. And I don't know, I'll ask you this. I mean, out here, it seems like there's a lot more plants growing, but that's just what meets the eye. I mean, there's several layers of the desert that you're dealing with. How how far does that go? I mean, I've heard things about people using, like, a, a tarp to collect water. You obviously hear people say, you know, you can catch water in a cactus. What other little secrets are there that the plants hold? Oh, well, there is no drinkable water in cacti, first of all. That's, that's pretty much a myth. There's one or two cacti, the hedgehog and the, the golden barrel that you can cut the top off of and, and, and chunk the, the inner flesh out of. You can squeeze some moisture, but it's more like a, a mucilaginous, slimy okra type stuff. The fact is that cacti, especially barrels, that's the one that John Wayne like cut the top off in that movie and like dipped the cup in and drank water. Right? Cacti do their photosynthesizing at nighttime. So they'll, they'll open up their cells and they'll, they'll, they'll allow the, the sunlight and the sunlight they use to convert the, 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 uh, the, the nutrients that they pull from the roots into sugars that they use for fuel. And there's an exchange that happens between the carbon dioxide and the oxygen. Well, cacti figured out, and it's part of their survival morphology, or the, the physical, how they're put together phys physically. They figured out that if they can photosynthesize at nighttime and do all that exchanging at nighttime, 
they can save water. That's one of the reasons why succulents do what they do. And uh, because of that, they have a lot of alkalinity. And if you, when the sun comes up, they're photosensitive and they begin outgassing at that point. And the meat of the cactus will get, you, you can eat cactus, segmented cactus like prickly pear and choyas. But the later in the day you get it after they've, they, they've outgassed everything, the, the sweeter that meat's going to be, uh, the flesh of the fruit. Or, sorry, the flesh of the actual cactus, not, not, not the fruit. So, but there's no water to speak of. And if you don't have water, you don't eat, period. You don't have water, you don't talk. You don't have water, you don't move. You stay in the shade and you wait until the sun goes down and then you get out. There is no substitute for water. You're talking about making a solar still, it's not going to go with a clear piece of the plastic. It is possible and it, it, it works to a certain degree. But if you're going to be digging a hole in the desert with a shovel, you, you need about a six foot across by six foot deep, four foot deep, you know, something like, like that. That's a lot of digging. That's a lot of water you're going to be expending. How long would it take you to go outside and dig a four foot deep by a six foot across hole in your backyard right now? Mm. Take you all day. And you're going to need a gallon of water to do it, especially when it's 110 degrees out here. So there is no real substitute for water in the desert. And that's just why I love it so much. It is, it's honest. It's bare. What you see is what you get for the most part. There are aspects of the desert that are extremely mysterious, the things you wouldn't see. But for the most part, for the, for the tangible aspects of it, you get what you see. And a man or a woman out there, the desert's going to burn you up. It's going to chew you up just the same. Everyone's on equal playing ground out, out, out there. And it, 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 it cuts to the honesty of everyone's soul. Um, that's why I love the desert so much. And it's, it's, it's common, you know, even though everything's out there and you can't hide, there's no trees, you know, there's canyons you can hide down, there's caves, there are little secrets out there, but you're on the desert's time. You are, you are functioning on the desert's time schedule and uh, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. it. Have you ever seen the movie Dune? No, I'm familiar you with the book. It, though. Yeah, I have they had book, the, never read it, though. <laughs> oh, God, you got to read it, man. Yeah, And there's a new one coming out this year I'm so I've looking heard, forward for. Yeah, yeah so Darren, it's awesome. But Darren on the Grimerica show is a big fan of Dune. He talks about it a lot, but no, I have not read it myself. It's the end about desert power in there, and they have the, their, 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 their solar or their, their, their still suits that, that recycle the water in their body and everything, and they're living by the code of the desert. And I really resonated with that because, you know, even as a kid, riding on my bike through Phoenix, 110 degrees out, you know, and you, you got to tank up. We call it tanking up before you go out. And if you got a big day tomorrow, you don't drink any alcohol that night, you know, and you make sure that you have enough electrolytes. If you drink too much water, you're going to go into hyponitremia where you flush all the, all the, uh, the potassium, the salt out of your body and that mimics dehydration. And there's a certain knowledge that you have to have to live out here and work out here. And not everyone can do it. Mm. Not everyone can do it. But I absolutely love the desert. I have a healthy respect. It's like a cruel mistress in many ways. It's so beautiful. And there's so many secrets. And if you can wake up out there, when the sun's coming up and there's a little bit of tiny dew that burns off the grass and the mosses and everything in the, 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 the morning, you'll be rewarded, you know, with beautiful sunrises, but then it just gets hot and it blazes everything up and then the nights get cold and just rambling here. But you know, you have to have a healthy respect for the desert. When you go out, you're only three mistakes away from tragedy, you know, mm. it's the survival. They say you're three mistakes away from uh, death and tragedy out in the, the, the wilderness. And that's most certainly true with desert environments. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You, you bring up ethnobotany and that became a big fascination for me 
through the works of uh, Carlos Castaneda. And I've kind of been a little disappointed to find out that he was, you know, a cult leader and quite, you know, narcissistic character towards the end of his life. And it it makes me question some of the things he's written about. But with that in mind, someone who has experienced the desert, I, I have to ask you, you know, like, are you familiar and how familiar are you with his work? And would you say like some of it stands true, you know, with your experience? I mean, they I talk had a very about good friend who, and, and, and peyote yeah. and yeah. I had a very good friend who knew, you know, when I lived up in Wikiup, a friend of mine named Jim Miller, he was an older guy. When I met him, he was in his, uh, God, he had to be in his, he had to be in his mid sixties when I met him, I think early sixties. No, probably mid, yeah. Mid sixties when I met him and he grew up in California and he knew Carlos Castaneda. And he says, you know, because I was reading his book, he turned me on to his books. And I, I, I read, I think, the first three or four, whatever, with them. And they got all kind of, they got, a little, they got a little hokey after that. And, but the first one, The Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaki Way of Knowledge, right? That was the, that was, that was the big one. He was writing his, as a master's thesis, right? And uh, he said he went down to Mexico and he found a, a, a curandero, who was actually a brujo. And our, our witch doctor, it was a witch. And, and he taught him about peyote, right? He taught him about, there's three plants, peyote, detura, stramonium was the other one. And was it marijuana? You smoked marijuana? Or was it, wasn't peyote? They, they weren't playing with peyote, were they? I think they, yeah, because they talk about mescalito as the, you know, okay. the spirit of peyote. But they also had, I, you might have just said psilocybin and I'm repeating you, yeah. but they kind of blended cannabis and uh, mushrooms at, at one point in the book and smoked it, which is like the first time I'd ever heard of anyone smoking mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. And anyway, Jim told me a couple years later that he was full of shit, that Don Juan never lived. He wasn't even a real person. He said he never, he never knew a guy named Don. He made him up. But what he did do, because he was a uh, studying anth- anth- anthropologist, was that he took the stories from the natives that were down there. He was interviewing natives. He was interviewing these curanderos and he took all their knowledge and he basically fictionalized it and gave it a face and gave it a name and gave it a story. And and that's, I'm okay with that, you know, and the greatest occult book ever written right here, the Holy Bible, you know, it's got more, if I only had one book on the occult that I could read forever, it would be this book right here. You know, Jesus spoke in parables for a reason. You know, this book right here is, it's tangible on so many levels. If you don't, if you don't read, read or write and someone reads you the parables and the stories, you're going to re, re, remember them, right? Because people re, remember stories. I use that technique when I'm guiding. I'll tell a story as opposed to a, a statistical fact because no one re, re, recalls numbers, but they do recall stories, right? And then in this book, it's written for merchants. If you, tells you how to trade, right? This book is written for kings and queens that tells you how to be a good governor or governess and uh, be fair to your people and structure your, your nation. The book of Leviticus tells you how to live. So this book is written multi-dimensionally for different people at every stage of, 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 of life. It's, it's, it's brilliant the way the Bible is actually put together. And then there's codes in it, right? The same way. I mean, the same way that there's, a, and I'll get back to what we're talking about in a second, but you have the the Old Testament and you have the New Testament and they're tied together with the four Gospels, right? And this is the book of life. And with your with your DNA, you have two strands of starch held together with four mononucleotides and it is the book of life for your body. It's the instructions for your body. This is the instructions for civilization. Yeah. It's a similitude there, you know? 
Yeah. And if, if, if Carlos Castaneda is going to use that same technique to teach, to teach these stories, I mean, that's why you and I are talking about Don Juan and the little helper. And you remembered, and I had forgotten, but, but you remember that they, 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 they put the psilocybin in with the thing because it was told in the story form. Right. And that's awesome sauce right there. So yeah, I have read, I have studied it and he was an anthropologist at the time, but tangible, cool stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 I want to circle back right now. We're hopping all over. I get so excited when I talk about the, the desert. But if you think about it, and I, 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 was sitting, I was sitting along the Verde River when, I, when this thought occurred to me years and years ago. But you got Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona is an ancient, ancient landscape. It's the most complicated geology in the entire country. You have six rivers that come down, the Gila, the Salt, the Verde, New River, the Agua Fria, and the Hacienda. And they all meet, turn into other rivers, but the other three meet at a place called Tres Rios, which is about five miles east of downtown Phoenix. And there they join into the, into the Gila, G-I-L-A, the Gila River. And they run east, it runs east to the Colorado, then down to the Gulf of Mexico. Back in the day, if you were traveling and trading, you weren't walking across the open desert so much. You were hunting out there, but you wouldn't go too far unless there were springs, unless you knew the springs and you knew trackers or you were a scout or part of one of the societies or clans that had the knowledge of that deep desert. You stuck by those rivers and all the trading happened by those rivers. Well, Phoenix has six rivers dumping into it. We're at the bottom of the Rocky Mountains, right? We are, we are the bottom of the drainage right there where they all meet. That's kind of a unique spot. And there's one river that goes down and meets the Colorado and goes down. What this means is, that all knowledge, all crops, all new seeds, all ideas, all religions, all genocides, all d- d- disease, all jewelry, uh, trinkets, anything, traveling from the Yucatan Peninsula, from the Aztecs, and the, uh, the Incas, and the, the, the Olmecs, the Toltecs, whatever age you happen to be in, or everything moving north comes up the Colorado River because you can't get across the Camino de Diablo. Right, that's where all the Mexicans are dying down there now. There's no water, and uh, you you had to come up, you know, into New Mexico that way. But if you're on, if you're west of there, you had to come up the Colorado, and then that dead ends up at the Grand Canyon. It's just canyon country, so you have to go up to the Gila River, and it takes you to Phoenix. Likewise, anything coming down from the Grand Canyon area to the Great Plains to the New Mexico and the Pueblo cultures is coming into Phoenix. Phoenix sits at a very unique spot. It is a cosmopolitan, metropolitan, ancient area. And that's why the Hohokam, I think, were so industrious here. They had dug over 1,000 miles of canals in the Phoenix Basin. If you ever come here, I'll, I'll, I'll take you around and show you personally, bro. But there's 1,000 miles of canals, which we still use today for the Salt River Project. I got one behind my, my house right, right now. And 200 miles of those canals are called trunk canals because they truncated into the Salt River. And those are about 50 to 70 feet across by about 25 feet deep. And those are huge. That's a lot. It's a lot of dirt to move. The other 800 miles were about uh, 10 to 20 feet across by 5 to 10 feet deep, respectively. And they branched out into other canals. If you go into my last site or just type in the Hohokam ear, ear, uh, canal, uh, you, you'll pop up some very famous photos and some very famous old maps that were drawn back in the 1800s. And you can see the entire canal network through Phoenix. And they irrigated 100,000 acres of, of, of land. And they built, we started talking this conversation about your monolithic things up there in the Northeast, the New England area. And we had platform mounds, 48 of them all over the Phoenix area. And there's some of them in the Tonto Basin and down by Tucson as well. And 48 of them, and they were, some of them were as big as a football field, 100 yards long, 
by 20, 30 yards across by 20 to 30 feet high. And some of them had, this is big chunks of dirt that are compacted. And then some of them had you know, smaller ones on top of those and smaller. So they looked like an, an entropic version of a step pyramid or a ziggurat, what they call a ziggurat in the Middle East or a pyramid, you know, but they were flat on top. That happened here. Now, Phoenix fits at the 33rd degree parallel. Phoenix is in a desert. Phoenix has continuous, had continuous water coming in, six rivers that would semi-flood, the salt river would flood big time. It would flood out and it would recede again. And it's some of the oldest civilization on this continent. What other area has, is one of the, one of the, uh, the, the cradles of civilization. It's in a desert with rivers coming by it and they have pyramids there. Egypt, the Middle East. You know, and if you think about it, and this occurred to me one night sleeping along the uh, the Verde River, listening to the to the river rushing next to me. Both are in deserts. Both have perennial water, and both allow for three to four growing seasons a year. You know, most of the time you can only get like a winter and a summer crop in, especially where you live, right? We get two or three summer crops in here, and then one winter crop, sometimes even four. And we don't have any tropical diseases. We don't have any snow, so we don't spend half the year frozen waiting for, you know, waiting for stuff to come back alive again, which means you're more productive as a species. And you can grow more here. As long as you have water, you can grow, right? Because plants don't care how hot it gets for the most part. You, you're going to find adapted plants. They care how cold it gets when they go to sleep and they can't grow. It is the perfect, the perfect condition for the cradle of life on Earth. So when you're looking at Mesopotamia, when, 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 when you're looking at Babylon, when you're looking at the old places in the Bible, always in the deserts. Cradle civilization, you know, Baghdad, it makes total sense. And then you got to look at Phoenix, Arizona, and we have the exact same thing as the old world as a cradle civilization, only here. Phoenix is a very, very special place. And people are just now, thanks to in part myself for the most part, but there's one other fellow who, who's, 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 who's written a little bit about this. And I don't think even the elites have let people on to how important Phoenix is going to be. We are the fifth largest city in the nation. We're the fastest growing right now. Atlanta and Phoenix, I think, are two of the fastest. Texas growing a little bit, but the big investment is coming into Phoenix. Bill Gates just bought a chunk of land off the west side called um, Belmont. They named it. It's going to be this new magical, mystical city where no one has any um, money. They all use credits and everyone's chipped and there's no cars and, you know, it's this perfect uh, Elysium world, you know. We done, I think in 2000 or 2050, I think they said, but you know, he'll, he'll be gone, but it'll, that's his dream anyway. You know, we have GoDaddy or all, all the, the servers and it's slated to grow. It's going to be growing faster and bigger every year here. And you know, that there's gotta be a reason for it. Um, there's a reason why Masons founded our city. There's a reason why if you turn a map of Phoenix upside down with South facing up, we have one road that the Phoenix is built on a north, south, east, west grid system. And we have one road that comes at a 45 degree angle and that is called Grand Avenue. And it hits Van Buren like this and Van Buren runs east, west. Well, if you take an invisible line and you keep going up to Washington street and back down, you form this like pyramid cap right there. This invisible, you, 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 you can't see it. But when you get to the, to the, to the apex of that pyramid on Washington street, you come halfway down, there's a building right there. And that building is the Montezuma's Grand Mason's Lodge. And it's right there mm -hmm. in the center of that capstone, just like it would be on the 
$1,000 bill. Wow. And I wrote an article about it on my website. If you go there, I, I, I outline the whole entire map and the dots and everything. And you can see it. The founding fathers built an invisible capstone into the city of Phoenix with the Grand Mason's Lodge as the all-seeing eye there. And then in 1992, when we expanded the downtown area and we built the, uh, the uh, Diamondback Stadium, if you take the lines and just take your geometry and just go out on the pyramid up and then go right there in the corner where Van Buren meets at Grand Avenue and draw that line straight through the, through the Masonic Lodge and keep going, it'll pass right through the stadium. So they just extended the entire pyramid with the stadium as the new eye. And whereas the apex of the old pyramid stopped on Washington Street, the new one stops at George Washington Carver High School and Cultural Center. And George Washington, of course, was the first president. He was a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemason, and he was probably involved in shit we'll never know. But George Washington Carver, not only invented peanut butter, right? And he was a botanist, right? All that good, good stuff. But he was the first African-American grand master of a Masonic Lodge in the country. And that pyramid stops on, 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 on that cultural center slash piece of property there. And you come down. So things are very much in control. There is a hand guiding everything, especially out West, especially out West right now. Water is going to be, if you want to know what's going to happen here in 20, 30, 40, 50, 50 years, you need to look into the hydrology of the area. The water is going to determine what happens here in the, the, the future. But, you know, just like you instinctively said rivers earlier, and you were dead on, brother. Everything has to do with water, and rivers are extremely powerful. You ever notice when you're on a, on a river, some towns will be more prosperous than others along rivers. Mm. And it, as water flows along a river, you get these eddies. That right, you know that 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 form in the in the currents on the sides of the banks. Well, those you know you, you have you have positive spinning eddies that spinning clockwise, and you have ones that go witter, 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 wittershins. You'll notice that, like on the Colorado, as the Colorado goes south um, along the western edge of Arizona between California and Arizona, look on one side and you have Laughlin, Nevada, and very prosperous. On the other side, you got Bullhead City, kind of a shithole. And uh, well, one's got uh, clockwise eddies and the other one's got the Wittershim going on. So physics does play a part with energies. I had a whole study when I was a kid in my 20s, uh, living up in Wikiup because we, it was the big Sandy Valley. And I had a map, especially, and I got it right in the, my box across the way, the way here. It's torn up now, but it's taped back together. I had, you used to be able to go to the Bureau of Land Management and have maps made up. And they print them right there for you. It was so cool. They had a computer in the lobby. And you could say, I want a map of this area. And you draw it on the, you know, you put the box out on the computer. You say, I want to show all the mine shafts, all the Indian ruins. I want all the fault lines. I want all the, uh, the rock formations, what kind of rock is where. And I want the altitude. And so you could build your own map in the lobby of a Bureau of Land Management. It was the coolest damn thing ever, dude. And you can't do it anymore. And, and you, could, you can make it. And I had one made for the Big Sandy Valley. And I had all these plots that I had gone through and talked to the old timers. I was plotting where, where people had died, had been committed suicide, had murdered. you know. And I had those deaths plotted along with when the water stopped flowing. And I was just kind of putting data together to see if I could see anything would pop out of that uh, data set. And, you know, I was getting close, but I, it's a project that kind of, kind of failed off. I'm sure anyone listening to this recording in the future, if you take where you're at and do the same thing, it would have been easy in that place because it was only a population of 300 people. 
And, you know, you could, I could go talk to everyone out there and um, everyone knew the story. So it's easy to get that, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the intel and, and put it in there, you know, but it might be harder if you're in a bigger city. But I can almost guarantee you there are going to be patterns of people behaving in certain ways. And it, it, it has to do with physics, you know. This is part of the knowledge, I believe, that the elite have used and have weaponized from a voice to school technology to 5G to whatever the hell they're pumping into people right now with this, with, with the, uh, the, uh, the nanoparticles par- and the crap they're putting in these vaccines, the, uh, the graphene oxides, right, that, 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 that's in there that they say can be activated with, with frequency. This shit is, I'm just making it up. You can go on and you can go into the, into the scientific journals, not the conspiracy pages. Go into the scientific journals and you will read about, the, about this, the people talking about this. And you can go find the patents on this stuff. And you can hear the, you know, people that, that, that were there for the, the testing of this. And they're pumping nanoparticles of, you know, graphene oxide in people and they're moving it around and they're activating it with, with frequency. It's real stuff. And we're living in that sci-fi world right now. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's a culted knowledge and it's been weaponized. I think we are, we are pivoting fast in this world and it, it, it's a little bit terrifying to me. Mm. It's, a little bit, it's, 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 the, it's the same playbook. It's the same trajectory. It's just moving so much faster right now and it's kind of scary and we're living in amazing times you know well and i love the the segue because you know in that microcosm macrocosm way in the same way we're analyzing how they place certain buildings on the landscape especially as it pertains to rivers you see that they're now on that microcosm level inserting graphene oxide and they've been putting many other pollutants in our bloods, you know, for the past hundred years and beyond. But they're they're affecting changes in the larger macrocosm world, which gives way over time to their ability. I think this is my suspicion to have a better hold over that mac- microcosm that is our human body. You know, infecting and polluting the rivers of our bloodstreams with this uh, with this graphene. I mean, yeah, we've had a couple guests mention graphene oxide recently, and it seems to be one of these. I I get the sense like when they tell me it's a the first two dimensional material. That gives me the sense that they're trying to anchor us in this third dimensional reality. I don't know what, how does that make you feel? Are you, are you someone that, that sees the, the 5d consciousness awakening or is that, you know, part of this intangible side or the fantastical side of the new age culture? So you're talking to someone who used to practice magic. You know, I, 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 I lived in a very quiet place on three and a half acres and, I meditated regularly and practiced out-of-body experience. So I am very familiar with metaphysics. It's real. Right. It's absolutely real. I, 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 I choose a tangible way because I, I went so far into that, I came full circle again, and we're in a tangible world. And I think, you know, while we're here, we shouldn't always be trying to be over there. We're here for a reason. Mm. You're here to taste amazing coffee. I buy exceptionally good quality coffee. When I drink liquor, I get exceptionally good scotch. You know, I, I, I'm a connoisseur of tobaccos. I'm, you know, um, I, I, I smoke a pipe and I smoke very nice tobacco because it's pure without chemi- chemicals in it, you know, occasionally. I like a good functioning firearm, I like a good horse on, under, on, under me. I love, you know, holding a good woman, tangible. We're here to feel this stuff. We're here to go out there and sweat and get hot and drink cold water and feel it course through our body. This, I, I think it's a misdirection that people attempt to be in the spiritual 
so much. That's coming from someone who actually did it, you know, for years and years and years. At the same time, I've studied people like Tom Brown, who studied under uh, a stalking wolf. And he said, you know, spirituality is next ob- 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 observation. And when you can walk in b- both worlds at one time in the duality, you'll truly be one with this world. And that is a philosophy. I did it for years and years. Maybe I still do some sometimes we and we call it in, instinct, you know. I see, you know, knowledge is powerful and a little bit of knowledge is scary and dangerous. Everything has been weaponized. Everything has been weaponized. I'll say it again. Everything has been weaponized. Knowledge has been weaponized. Social media has been weaponized. Immigration, television, the news, right? Food, the weather. Immigration. Everything has been weaponized in this world, including the esoteric and the occulted arts. They're given a little portion of something and people make a whole religion out of it. And then it's sold and repackaged and remarketed and, and resold again to the new uh, generation. And it's nothing but an empty hole. You ever heard of the, the, the dark path in, in, in free in Freemasonry? Do you know, do you know what that is? Well, a formal version of it. No, I've heard many different uh, ways of saying that. Okay. Yeah, I have a couple books on Freemasonry that, that attempt to, you know, clear up the dark side of Freemasonry or shine light on the dark side of Freemasonry. But I don't know what what to believe. Yeah, no, it's it, well, Leo it's, Zagami it's, comes to mind as an author who's written about it. So this is something di- different, and I've confirmed this with num- numerous Masons. If you're in a Masonic order, in certain orders, the ones, the, the working orders, a lot of serious stuff is going, going on and you're allowed at your 15th, 16th degree level and you're moving up, you know, and they ask you questions during their, the, the ceremony, you know, whatever the question is. And if you answer wrong, if, if you answer cor- correctly, you'll go to the real 18th de- degree. If you answer, you know, if, if you answer in, in cor- cor- correctly, they'll tell you you're going to the 18th de- degree, but it'll be the, the dark path and they'll give you esoteric knowledge, but it'll, it'll be empty. It won't go anywhere. And only those people in the real 18th degree will go to the real 19th degree. And if you're, you know, if you're on the 20th degree and you're, you're taken and you're, 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 you're 21st and uh, you answer incorrectly, you'll go to the wrong 22nd degree and, and they'll just kind of move you over, over there and they'll keep you in the wings. You won't get invited to the special meetings. You won't get entrusted with the special business deals that will elevate you to put you in a position to where they can use you, 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 you later. It's, it's empty knowledge. It's hollow knowledge. A lot of that is being pumped into social media now. Okay. When, when the Q thing happened, some, some argue it's still happening. It's not, I know who's in charge of Q right now and they're sitting on it. But when the Q thing happened and it sort of died down October, what 18th was the last one from last year is the last time that they posted. And then the January 6th popped off. Right. And the feds used it as an excuse to go after anybody associated with Q and, you know, Q was the, uh, the bastard child they were going to, anyone associated that with and vice did the, did their, their hit piece and wrote a couple pe- 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 people into it. And everyone began running from Q YouTube and Facebook started just killing channels, wiping them out left and right, anything to do with Q at all. And I said, it's morphing into 5D. I told everyone on my channel, I told everyone I knew, it's morphing into 5D. This entire Q uh, PSYOP is going to morph right into the 5D. You watch. I called it. And sure enough, three, three months later, you know, there's certain channels that to Michael Jaco, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to drop names on your channel, but there's a whole group of people 
who really got into the 5D. They stopped talking about Q, right? And those, these, the, these are the channels that had the, the Holy Cross and the Q and the American flag up in the corner while they're doing the commentary talking about Jesus this and God that and Q this and, you know, Trump's going to ride in with Jesus and save the world. And it was marketing. It was, it was, it was weaponized social media psyop marketing. I could see the hallmarks of occulted uh, technique written, scripted all over. It was deployed to perfection. And when the Q thing started getting kicked off social media, I knew they were not going to let this go. And you, you, you don't let this much energy and this much collected consciousness and momentum just dissipate. You, 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 you try and harness it and continue to either weaponize it or, or derail it. So it's not doing anything important or worthy. Like, I don't know, getting involved in your local elections on a, 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 a local level. I saw them doing this and the only place it could go from my perspective was 5d. And I knew that because of Isaac Cappy. You're familiar with my work on Isaac Cappy, are you not? Right, and I will clear this up right now, folks. I am not Isaac Cappy, even though many people on Instagram have accused me of looking <laughs> like him. So here's my opportunity to, to yeah, clear that up. Get, let's get into that, please. I can, I can vouch for you 100% that you are not Isaac Cappy. <laughs> I, I'm not going to, you're not Isaac Cappy, yeah. but if, if you, if you go to the Isaac Cappy mind map on the website or type it into Google and you click on it, there is a section there called 5D Earth Belief. Mm -hmm. And Isaac Cappy was getting into 5D towards the end there. Isaac was being hunted. He was being harassed with voice of skull technology. He was being threatened and he was involved in a psyop, I believe, that not only that he wasn't aware of at first. And Isaac got roped into something bigger than he knew even existed. And he was a baby speaking when he came into this online world of weaponized social media. And he got hammered, man. He got hammered. And he didn't stop. And he went out. He thought that, you know, telling the truth about pedophilia and Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and Seth Green and Claire, he thought that, you know, they would just descend upon him and justice would be done. <laughs> He didn't understand the power and the investment and the equity uh, put into this, the child trafficking and the, the magic and, you know, the commodity of humans. He didn't understand that, that they weren't going to let that go and that too many people would go down. But anyway, he was getting involved in 5D. He was on the cutting edge of that. And he was involved with some people who were involved with Q early on. He was a big, big proponent of of. Q and spreading it. Isaac did have connections to the White House. I know for a fact he did. He had a connection with uh, someone, I'm not going to say who, who, who had connections in the White House, contracts and all kinds of stuff going on in there. And anyway, Isaac was into 5D and I saw it. 5D, I also tracked that down in my investigation. There was, a, and this is just really weird, man. And there's a coin, right? And on the coin, there's, there's always a flip side. There's always a dark side. I believe what 5D is, is a metaphysical training ground. It's, a, it's an open source, metaphysical open source training. And people jump in there and they start meditating and they getting, you know, it, it, it's getting into re remote viewing, right? And you get into dream work and consciousness and all that kind of stuff like that. And that's good, you know, to know yourself, to know the other side, to know that you can, that you're not just a, you know, a sack of meat and there's another part of you that that's not your body. I think everyone should know that and experience that. However, there is 
real things you can do on the other side and harm people out of your body. There are techniques that's in fact since the dawn of time, you can leave, leave, leave your body and you can manifest change in this world with your will without your body. And there are people that monitor this and there are recruiting grounds. And what I found in my investigation, I have not made this public. I have not made the names public because quite frankly, it scared the shit out of me, man. I found a group of on online on Twitter and they would talk openly on Twitter about targets and they would have their own code system and I could never figure out their code, but they would, they would code the tweet with this code. And then, then they would have going in tonight at 9 PM Eastern time target. They give some initials, everyone good to go. Okay. See you there. And then they would reference another, another channel that they would end. I tracked it down and they were giving updates, went in, got the job done. They were assassins. Literally, they openly talked about what they were doing, harassing people in their sleep when their consciousness was was weakest. And these people tied straight. I tied them all in. I did all. I have programs I can find out, you know, who people are, where they live, you know, all the information about them and stuff, other social media. And they were all involved with 5D. And then I started to realize that somebody, this person, was recruiting people out of the 5D um, networks who had exceptional skill and real skill. They weren't just dabbling. They were committed to it. And he was pulling them in for these, for these, 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 these jobs. Shit's real. It's happening right now. Yeah. And that's a little scary. It brings to mind, scary. it brings to mind what, uh, you know, to bring Castaneda back up, what they were doing with peyote, you know, they, they mm-hmm. apparently, you know, and I, I've only read this book, seven years ago so forgive me folks if i'm forgetting details but to the best of my knowledge you know in this trance in this out-of-body state don juan says to carlos that you can actually kill people from this out-of-body state and you know carlos was kind of shook up by that and and you know wanted to become like this raven that was his idea that he would turn into a raven at night but yeah, it, it was unsettling to me to read that, <laughs> that that's possible. But yeah, 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 the shamanism, you know, people have this impression of shamanism. And then I think it comes from like music festivals is where most of this lies. <laughs> you know, it, it, that shamanism is all fun and games and bright lights and, and enlightenment. But, you know, all mm-hmm. things have a light and a dark, you know, and, and shamanism is used for just as much negativity as it could be used for positivity. And I think that's kind of what we're hinting at. And shamans themselves are very conflicted people. Shamans are half mad. You know, they, they go through severe abuse of their body and their mental state. You know, people, people understand, but actors, the, 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 the profession of acting was once a sacred religious position. You know, when they would, in, in, in the ancient pagan days, when they would, they would, they would call down, they, they would sit there and they would, they would act out. Well, they, they would call down the gods. They, they, they would go and they would drum and music. They would go into a trance, right? For days, they would fast and they would call down the gods into these shamans. And the shaman would go around and they would con- converse and convene with the elders and pass on the knowledge and the instructions for the next year. It was annual, cyclical, okay? And then when this wasn't happening, when these rituals weren't in place, taking, taking place, these people were acting out their stories, the mythos, the word myth means truths. 
right? The mythos is the truths or the origins, the, the truth of the origin. And in Greek, and it goes even further, they were acting and they would act out the gods. They would act out. So the first actors were actually shamans, medicine men who called down gods in their very bodies. And then is it any surprise when, when, when Beyonce comes in an interview and says, you know, I call on Sasha Fierce when I go out. Or right, yeah. or you got a, a Johnny Depp has his alter ego that comes in. Right, many of many of them do, and that's not that's not uncommon. Is it good? Eh, no, I wouldn't think so. Letting something else take over your your body or or or, or cohabit your your body with you. No, you want to be, you want to be sole agent over this body. That's when shenanigans start happening. You know, I mean, it's not power. There's no power there. There's no power when you give up your freedom and your agency and your sovereignty. And people think that there is, and there, there really is what mess with demons. And that's what that kind of stuff. It's not anyway, going full circle here, back to 5d. I believe there's a lot of empty knowledge. There's just enough to keep people diverted. I think that the 5d world where, whereas it can be an entrance into consciousness, under, under, under understanding yourself. I'm not, I'm not saying there's good aspects that there's not good, good, good aspects to it. What I'm saying is that the way it's been deployed, it was done so at a time during a weaponization of a social media psyop. And that's why everybody is in it. The same reason everyone is into ayahuasca isn't because everyone understands the beauty of ayahuasca. It's because of Joe Rogan. I mean, let's just be real. Right. Joe Rogan talked about ayahuasca for a year. Now everyone's a ayahuasca expert. And, you know, um, <laughs> you got to track down the, the, the source of it and to understand what's going on there. And I think fi a lot of the 5D stuff that's going on right now uh, has to do with PSYOP. I, you know, again, I'm very tangible and I see our rights flipping away. I see things changing so fast. I see the urbanization taking place. I see rewilding going on, which is good for the environment, I guess. Uh, but People are losing their land. They're losing their ability to generate wealth. We're being pushed into mid-rise structures. I don't know where you're at in the Northeast, but in, in, in the Phoenix area here, there are three-story high mid-rises going on every damn corner from one side of the city to 60 miles to the, the other. They're planning on more and more people living cramped up in these apartments while the suburbs are being ripped apart and turned into uh, strip uh, not strip malls, but the shopping, urban shopping areas areas. They are rebuilding entire cities right now, preparing for this next wave of technology coming out. And while that's going on, we're being forced into smaller lives and smaller, you know, like the whole thing on micro homes, right? The, mm. the mini homes, the micro homes, tiny homes, the, yeah. uh, tiny homes, the storage container homes. Who wants that? <laughs> you know, the first thing they do when they get them damn things, they're like, oh man, it really did a good job. It really doesn't feel that small because it really is small. And if you live in a small house, you can't have your space and you can't have a bookshelf and you can't have your workshop and make your furniture, whatever your thing is, or do your plant craft or make tea or run your business. You need space. You know, Al Gore has seven houses for a reason, you know, maybe a bad reason, but people have room. And if you're stuck in a small place, that's not good. It's, that you, it's not something to like strive for. The reason why we're so free in this country is because we have the ability to move around. We have vehicles. That's what made us so strong and independent financially. And it, was, it went hand in hand with our, our, our innovative uh, spirit in this nation was we had personal private vehicles. They're going away from that. 15, 20 years, 
you're going to have half the amount of vehicles on there. And those cars are going to be probably three quarters of them are going to be uh, Google cars. Uh, trucks are going to be driven by uh, computer and satellite. We're going to be on mass transportation, except for the rich and the elite who have the ability to, to have their own vehicles. And why? Because they want to control where you go. They want to control when you go. You know, when I was in Norway back in 2001, I bought the Oslo Pass. And I hitchhiked around Oslo. And for $30 a month back then, you could get all the trains, all the trams, all the subway, and all the buses and all the ferries throughout town. It was all free. But those things stopped running at a certain hour. And you couldn't go where you wanted to. And you were in the city. And you realize just how stuck you are if you really want to go out and to do, to do something. You're reliant upon the system. You know, we have stagflation going on right now. We really are. Oppression isn't coming. It's here. It's happening right now. We're being transformed. And I'll tell you what really, when I, when I realized all this was real, when it, when it hit me in the face, man, when the masks came on. When the mask came out, I saw the masks and they're saying mask up, mask up, mask up. And I thought, no, I know what this is. This is a ritual. This is a transformation ritual. Masks have been used since the dawn of time. You put a mask on while you're transforming, whether you're the shaman or whether you're the, the, the agent in the ceremony being transformed. That mask goes on you. Right, the ritual, the work takes place. The the the, the words are said. The, the the actions are done. The um, you know the similitudes so, so, are enacted so that it can imprint into your physical mind and take shape and manifest in the physical. Right, and then afterwards, after an emotional and uh, usually music giving a crescendo, and it comes back down, the mask comes off, and you're now transformed. And I told everyone, all my listeners, I said, you know, when the mask comes off, guys, we're going to be a new society. When these masks come off for good, we're going to be a new society. This is a transformation ritual right before your eyes. They're actually incorporating masks, physical masks. And what that does is it, is it, 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 it forces people to join the ritual. It has every single person wearing a mask out there putting equity into the spell. Just like when you're at a football game or a baseball game and everyone's screaming in the stadium and the music and you're all done, done, done. And you're all in sync with the beat. That's powerful. Or you're at a concert. Everyone's singing along, right? That's what we're doing right now. We're participating in a ritual, in this pandemic ritual of transformation. You know, 5G came out the same exact time that COVID hit and the masks came on. And now the vaccinations are coming out. People always forget Trump. Trump started and Trump pushed that vax. And, you know, as much as I wanted Trump to be the savior, I'm pretty convinced at this point that Trump is the Judas goat. And, you know, we're, we're, we're witnessing true theater, true theater, uh, theater of a religious and ritualistic capacity. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's well said on your part, but nonetheless unsettling. And I myself as a, you know, budding, magician in some ways you know i have many books many minerals many allies that i call upon i try to center myself in the true or the truth of the landscape i was born in because i i believe that the ancestors of this land even though they may not have had the same skin color as me are still just as equally calling to me to learn from them and their truth in this land that is so powerful to them and through them and all the people who've come here since. I'm wondering, you know, 
as the minority, I'm sure you've heard of the hundredth monkey effect. Do you think it's possible that the podcasting that we're doing now and many like it are working to counteract this ritual in some way? And if not, you know, what can we do as people who have the mindset to partake in this ritual for the betterment of mankind rather than the destruction of, of what we know as freedom. We're, we're in a war right now. We're in a, we're, we're in a war for our very lives. You know, from my research in, in my mind, in my opinion, whoever took that vaccine, your broad spectrum immune system shot you, you, you more than likely 60% chance you you will be gone within five to 10 years. If you took that shot. This is a kill shot, literally. This is what Art Bell called the kill shot. Funny, Art Bell coined that back in the late 90s, right? The kill shot's coming. And now we got a shot that actually showed up here. And, you know, with the first shot, 24, 25% of your immune system was gone, just eradicated with that, the, the vaccine. With the second shot, around 33 to 35 per, per, per percent. There's a reason why Israel stopped giving the booster out about a month ago. Because when everyone got that third booster shot, people were going to the hospital. Ninety-five percent of everyone in the hospital with COVID, they said they had COVID, has fully vaccinated with that with that third booster shot. It's because the booster itself was triggering um, autoimmune responses, and it was it was killing people. You know, they are attempting to get as many people vaccinated as they possibly. And first of all, I don't believe that we are at seventy whatever percent or sixty. I think we're closer to fifty percent vaccinated rate in in this country. I think they're absolutely lying about it the same way they've lied about the COVID numbers, the same way they've lied about the COVID deaths. I think they're lying about the vaccine. Their goal is to get as many people as possible vaccinated, right? Because if people, they only have so much time. It's already started. And if people, when people start dropping like flies and dying left and right from this vaccine, they're going to come out and well, they're, they're going to hopefully have as many people as they can vaccinated, 70, 80 per, 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 percent. So they can say, they can turn them against, they can tribalize them and turn them against the unvaccinated. And, you know, what they're going to say is, well, it's the unvaccinated that are allowing the COVID to mutate and uh, they're getting sick and it's, tra- it's mutating in their body and getting you guys over here sick. So we have to. And when, in fact, if you got that shot, your immune system is gone. Your autoimmune, you, you will succumb to autoimmune diseases. It will happen. We're on time here. The, the talk, the clock is ticking. I think we have five years before we're going to be in the, in the, in the thick of it. Three years, it's going to start really coming on. It's bad, man. It's bad. We're some bad. I don't, I don't know what can be done at this point. You know, the Biden administration's out there saying it's the most transparent administration ever. While at the same time, they're not answering questions. They're not talking to the press. Just, just just Saki does, you know, and they don't answer any real questions. They just keep on trucking along. The Supreme Court will not listen to anything to do with COVID. They're just not hearing it. Why? You know, weren't, weren't, weren't we supposed to have three judges on there, put in a con- strong conservative judges put in there by Trump? Two of them turned out to be moderate liberals. Uh, you know, it's, we, were, we, we, were, we, we, we were set up. We were absolutely set up. And right now with this, the, the full on, communism that's just being shoved down our throats. The uh, critical race theory is nothing but absolute total racism and division. People are seeing it for what it is, and they're all hoping that Trump is going to come back and save us all again. And I don't know if that's pretty sure Trump's not the answer. Trump was the one who never fired Fauci. He could have fired Fauci. Fauci worked at his pleasure, never fired him. He could have fired Burks, 
never fired her. He could have gutted out the DOJ. He had the power and the authority to gut out the DOJ, the same DOJ that isn't prosecuting anybody, right? Meaningful. He could have went after Clinton. He said he was going to. He said, remember, because if I was president, you'd be in jail. That never happened, right? They sat on by, you know, they sat on, on, on Wiener's laptop. Nothing ever happened. He could have gutted out the entire FBI. People don't like to talk about this. They don't like to hear that Trump didn't do what should have been done at that level. Oh, but, you know, the swamp was so deep and he couldn't do it, you know? BS. BS. He was the president. He's the executive. He was known as, you know, you're fired, you know? That was Trump, and he never got rid of anyone. He put up with this complete fake sham of, a, of an investigation against him, right, for the whole Russian hoax thing, you know, that was going on. And he looked back and said, why, why, would, why would Trump put up with that? Why would he let Mueller and Comey and Rosenstein do that and, 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 and with the level? I mean, the president of the United States, ha- I mean, for a fact, has the greatest intelligence agency right there. He gets any intel he wants. He has his private security guard. He has the, the, the Secret Service, and he has all of his business connections from Wall Street and inter- inter- international to feed him the information that he requires to become the billionaire that, that, that he is. And he is an executive of the country. No one can tell me that he didn't have access to what Fauci knew. BS. BS. If we know it now through a FISA or through, a, through, through a, a FOIA request, there's no way Trump didn't know it at that time, that this was gain of function. That, that, and, and that's why the head of the, of the National Institute of Health stepped down two weeks ago, right? Or was it last week? It was last week because it came out in this 300-page document that, yeah, he actually knew about the gain of function. And he was uh, collaborating with the Fort Detrick and the, and the virology lab in Canada and, and moved over to Wuhan and funded it through a, through a third party. And that's why he stepped down. You know? So Trump is in the thick of it here. Yet everyone's praying Everyone has this, 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 this vision, this version of Trump that they want him to be. The same reason that people voted for Obama. What was Obama? He was hope and change. What the hell does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> he was, yes, we can. What the hell does that mean? It means whatever you want. It's a broad spectrum platitude. Okay? It means whatever you want. What is Trump? Make America great again. What does that mean? Whatever the hell you want it to mean. It's going to appeal to whatever you internalize it at and you manifest. All he wants is your vote and your energy and your dollars and, and your support, right? Well, we're in bad shape right now. We're in pretty bad shape right now. Trump knew the election was stolen. We all know the election was stolen. You know, Everyone knows it was stolen. Trump had his chance on January 6th to sign the insurrection law order and – you know, and, and I've, I've, I've argued with some of my friends pretty fierce about this. You know, Corey, the military state, we're going to support them, this and that. In my opinion, it could have been done. But also, in my opinion, we went through three years, three years of a dog and pony show with the FBI and all of these investigations in Trump. And why? Because they needed our energy to go somewhere. They needed our emotional equity. They needed us to be so um, involved into it. That's part of the spell. If you're into, if you're into, into, into spellcraft, right? You, uh, depending on your, your, your system, we'll take the Western tradition, right? You draw your circle 
you ground, you draw your circle, you call in your quarters and you call in your, your energy. And then, and then you raise your energy after your energy is uh, raised, then you, then you do the actual work itself and you send it out and then you do the reverse and you ground out, right? That's a, that's a standard Western practice of, of craft. There's a point where you need the emotional, your emotion is the gasoline behind it. That's why passion people are interesting, right? Because there's, there's life there. <laughs> that's why people that are like, you know, lumps on a, on, on, a, on a log, no one wants to hang out with them because there's nothing going on there. People like kinetic energy and Trump is full of it. And he needed our energy into the system. And as long as, as long as all of our energy is wrapped up in the Russia hoax or whatever, the Wiener laptop or whatever that's not going to get prosecuted, you know what we're not doing? We're not cleaning out our local government. We're not taking care of our board of supervisors. We're not taking care of our recorder's office and our attorney generals. And we're not, we're not focusing on our sheriffs who are the last level of protection between you and the federal government out there. That's where we need to. You asked what we need to do. I believe what we need to do is you need to get back into your family, back into your clan. If you're fighting with your brother and your mom or whomever, make up, make up, form a plan, stick together. The only power you have in this world is your economic power and your family power. Okay. That's where American, and that's where, that's, that's where power and civilization begins and ends. It's at the family level. Okay. And from the family, you have your, 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 your extended family or your, your clan. And from that clan, you have your neighborhood. And from the neighborhood, you have your, your city. And then from the city, your county, and then your state, and then your country. Okay. That's the, that's your, your, your level of borders. I wrote an article on that actually years ago called borders on my website. And I, I talk about the, the metaphysical aspects of all of these borders in our, 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 our lives. But that's where your power is going to be. It's going to be in your community and to free yourself and to free your local community and your family on every level as you can from top-down federal control. However that needs to happen, take, take back your school boards, take back your board of supervisors, and put patriots in there. Put people in there who, who think like you, who cannot be bought off, who will say no to the goddamn money. They'll say no to the money. The problem is we have an entire population of people that aren't read and they're not learned and uh, they consume CNN. They consume Fox all day long and one's just as bad as the other. And, and they don't understand what's really going on. And they're pitted to the left against the right, as opposed to freedom versus tyranny. But the answer is becoming as self-sufficient as possible, not succumbing to the darkness and not getting wrapped up in their, in their system, in their mess. It's just this vortex of sucking noise that's pulling your energy away from where it needs to go right now. I think we really need to focus. Live as rurally as you possibly can. Have a skill set. Have neighbors and family that you can count on. Get some food. Get some food stored. Get some food. I've been telling people for the last year since the first shortage in, in March of last year, get food. Get it now. It's only going to go up in price. I know you're going to eat tomorrow. I know you're going to eat the day the next day. You're, you're, you're going to want to at least. It's only going to go up in price. Buy food. Buy storable food that you're going to eat. Learn some new skills if you don't know them. Get a firearm or two or three and the ammo to go with it. Understand how to uh, shoot it. You know, There's a bunch of skills you should know as a man. And I'm speaking to the men out, out, out there that you're going to need to survive in this new world that's coming in, if you want to retain your freedom. I think there's a civil war coming. I, I hope there's a war coming. I hope, 
because if we continue down this tra- 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 trajectory that we're on right now, we're headed for full spectrum tyranny. We really are. We are, we're, 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 we're headed for a really bad time. And all I see is our freedoms eroding day after day. And people who say it's not, they just have their head in the sand. You know, when they're openly talking about vaccine passports, where was it? There was a, it was in Germany. They just authorized grocery stores to not, to not allow people into their stores if they're not vaccinated. Now that would never fly here. Even Newsom didn't push it that far in California because he knew people would start getting popped. Hold on one second. Give me one second. I definitely think there was something else going on there. Yeah. I, I think that I'm a little bummed because I realized we hadn't been recording the past 20 minutes after you took that break, but uh, but that's all right. We could pick up here and, and wrap it up because we are kind of oh, no. close to two hours. That's all right. Still, uh, wow, that's a fumble. But either way, yeah, I, I think, yeah, Mark Twain, Nikola Tesla, they're certainly conduits for this Akashic record, right? This uh, higher energy force. That's a great way to say it, conduits, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think if, if time travel does exist, you know, where are the time travelers? But if, if I had to pick time travelers, I mean, the top of my list would be probably Mark Twain, just what he knew, just what he saw. And then there's other smaller people throughout history in Arizona history that I could name off as well. But Benjamin Franklin, you know, these guys, it just, it blows my mind at what they were. Look at the founding fathers of this country. They were all what, in their thirties when they wrote the constitution like that, like that. They weren't much older. Right. I mean, to think, to come up with, those documents to have that level of, of, of brashness and fortitude and, uh, you know, just the revolutionary spirit to, to put together a nation and do what they did. It's almost, look at, look at, look at men now and look at what happened in the past. I don't know. I, I, I look at history and I look at the events that took place and the people that live and the stories that we, we know about them. And I question so much of it because where are all the men, where are all these ideas going on? You know, I mean, I, I, I think that Elon Musk is a, is a full on re, retard. I, I've never heard him say an intelligent thing. I don't believe Elon Musk is actually inventing this stuff. I think he is just the, the face of the dissemination of the technology. I think, you think Zuckerberg, I mean, who the, who the hell really thinks that these 20 something year old kids in flip flops are in charge of these, you know, these huge mega companies because they invented something in their, in their garage. No, no. I mean, uh, social media is completely weaponized. You know, Facebook is the wet dream of the CIA and the intelligence agent, 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 agencies. It's the, it's the perfect medium in which to hypnotize, what's what I'm looking for, and, 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 and interject sorcery into the human conscience. It didn't just like happen to be invented. And then, you know, they found a way to, 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 to weaponize it. There's a trajectory going on here that as this technology is being unfolded, I think it's on a very planned level. I really do. Between YouTube, uh, television, cable, all of it. Look at all the technology as it's come along. It's not just co-opted into a system. I think it's been developed and de- deployed much the same way that you, um, you, you run cattle on a ranch. You put them out to pasture, you made them, you know, so they're all, all, all winter into, into the spring, you round them up, you bring them in, then you manage them, right? You, you cut the babies from the mamas and then you tie them up and you vaccinate them. And I, I cowboyed for five years off and on, right? And you vaccinate them and you, you mark them and you tag them and you, you steer them and you, you know, cut their horns off if they're violent and you turn them loose again. And then you got to take care of them and you load them up. And it's a system. 
You know, when you're driving them, you flank them and you manage them, you drive them to the, the, the new pasture. I see the human species being, being managed much the same way as cattle. I really do. You know, you feed them certain time, you know, we, 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 we would let the cattle graze and then we'd round them up and ship them off to Williams Flagstaff and they would run east on the, on the rail lines to Oklahoma where they would be, we call finish them off and they would finish them off with corn for a month or two, right? They'd fatten them up and let them eat marble before they're slaughtered. We control the feed. We control the vaccines that go into them. We controlled how much time they spent out there. We controlled the breeding of them. We controlled which ones were where. We, we would pull a bull out and pull a new bull in when we wanted new genetic material in that herd. What, we do it with plants. We do it with wheat. We do it with corn. Why the hell do people think it's not being done with humans? Yeah. We have forced migration going on right now. Forced migration. You know, since the 1960s in, the, in, the, in this, this country, forced migration. It happened over in Europe, right? When, when, when Germany um, started bringing in all of the, all of the, uh, the, the, the Muslim African migrants, you know, we have forced migration going all over the world right on cue at the same time. Why is that? Oh, the world's just getting No, no, it's, it, it's in conjunction with the technology being rolled out in conjunction with the coronavirus. Right. And 5G and technology and social media and all these new laws coming down. We're headed for something really, really tyrannical and really, really big right now. And I'm not sure what it is. I can't see that far in the future myself. I just know there's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of change in the near future. And it ain't all good. It ain't all. I mean, maybe. I mean, the other night I, I had a show and I proposed. I said, guys, what if what if Trump? is pushing the backs because he knows mRNA technology really is the solution. Maybe they will be able to cure cancer with mRNA and theoretically they can't, maybe they can't. Remember, do you, do you re- recall bro a couple last year, the year before Trump was on stage. I had it somewhere safe. I don't know where it is. He said, we will cure cancer in 10 years. We'll have a cure for AIDS. In just a few. Do you remember him saying that? I remember him getting in a lot of trouble for that. Yeah, people were like, how could he say something like that? And then mRNA technology bust out on the scene mm-hmm. a year later. Wow. And if you can rewrite the RNA to tell the DNA what to do, you can heal and start creating stuff from the inside. Alicia sent me a, a video today about a doctor who was talking about a seminar she was involved in back in 2015, where they were telling doctors, you better get on board with the technology coming down because people aren't going to need doctors soon. Everything is going to be done with vaccinations. You know, you know, in 2015, Gates was on stage of that famous Ted talk when he said, we have 7.2 billion people on earth, you know, but with proper logistics and vaccines, we can get that number down. (laughs) I told everybody with proper vaccines, we can get that number down. The hell do you think that means everybody? Yeah. And that he means was, he that... was in Tucson, not too far from you down there trying to block out the sun uh, a couple years ago. I just had Matt Landman yes. on the podcast. He was, he got arrested at that protest they did down there. <laughs> yes. So there's earth shattering stuff happening right now. Right. And you know, what's weird, man. You know, it's weird. You go to a restaurant and there's people, I like to go to a restaurant and just sit there sometimes or coffee shop. No, coffee shop people are just, you know, they're, they're in their computers. If you go to a restaurant and hear them talking and no one's talking about anything that we're talking about right now, it's all just baseball games, you know, even superficial 
surface level politics, you know, no one's talking about anything important, anything meaningful. And even couple, and granted, you know, people are out there with their families. I thank God their faces aren't buried into, into their phones, but they're having conversations. And the conversations, I look, I'm like, how do you, there's nothing there. It's just pulp. It's diversion. And if they're happy, great, good, good, for, good for them. But we need more people involved with the important stuff of this world, I believe. Right. Um, if we're going to, if we're going to survive this, um, the sheep are being rounded up and they're about to be butchered in this country, you know, metaphorically speaking, it's time to circle the wolves, but at the same time, we need to pull as many sheep with us as we can because they're the ones that are going to you know, vote and, and, and then pull us all down with them through fear and the sorcery and the, the smoke and mirrors and the Ill, illusions being constructed by these, by these, these master sorcerers, you know, at uh, the television companies and, and the big tech and all the crap that they roll out to us. Yeah. I'm very cynical these days, man. I, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of ranting and rambling here, no, but no, no, I, am. I will say since we did lose a little bit of that past 20, 30 minutes, you were very positive uh, after you came back and, and kind of gave us some, <laughs> some hope there and some good advice and without regurgitating it, you know, I'll say, yeah, I'm definitely going to heed that advice. Go local, stick with your family, yeah, well, you know, strengthen yeah, the plan. Caught, you asked me to, you know, what, what, what can we do? to fight this. And my answer was go local, call your family, call your mother, call your brothers, make up with your family. And the only real power you have is going to be your local economic power. Right. Right. I've said it before on my, on my shows, you are only as important as important as your ability to affect change. Right. Nobody cares about the bomb under the bridge down the road. Why? Because he's not going to make a difference to anybody anyways, anyhow, but you do care about what the millionaire thinks down the road because he is contributing to political funds. He's starting businesses. He's affecting the world, right? What, what did Crow, Crow, Crowley say that right here in my, my wall, magic is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. What does that mean? It means everything you do every day of your life, as you are ch- causing change to occur, be it at your house, whether you're making your bed or cooking dinner, you're creating change in a physical world according to your will. That's magic. You're making magic every day. I'm talking to Mark right now over the sorcery, you know, and my ideas in my head are coming out as, as compressed airwaves into a microphone through a technology I would never even be able to tell you into your earphones, into your head, and my idea is now yours and everyone else is hearing it. That's magic, people. That's magic every day. And we live magic every day. And that's, that's where I said I've come full circle. I'm a tangible practitioner now. And, and you, I take all these lessons and yes, become self-sufficient, learn how to grow food, learn how to affect change on your local level, build strong relationships. You know, who's going to be important com- coming up in the, the future? Dentists, veterinarians, midwives, herbalists, chiropractors, people who can heal, massage therapists, people who can mechanics, people who can machinists, right? People um, who can uh, fix things. That's what's important in the future. In my opinion, if you can grow things, and know how to heal people back to the basics, because no matter how technologically advanced we get, we are still thin-skinned mammals with opposable thumbs, and we still need the baby, you know, on the Maslow's hierarchy of need. And part of that, and I didn't get into it earlier, we're talking about Native Americans, but Native Americans were gregarious herd. Humans are herd an, 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 animals. 
you know, the mountain man only lived on average a couple of years because he, his body wore out. It was too dangerous. He died making his own clothes. He was tanning his own furs. He was, you know, pounding his own metal, building his own cabin. You, you can't last that long. You know, we last in communities, in these desert environments. What did the Hohokam do? What did the Salados and the Mugions, uh, those cultures, the Sinaguans and the, the, the Patayans, what did they do? They traveled as an entire tribe or, or a group within that tribe or a clan, and they harvested mesquite beans for weeks together in baskets. And they harvested the saguaro fruit for weeks on end as a group. They dug canals. Everything was done as a group. And we still do it today. You know, we, we build highways, you know, in our own system. But you're not – if people think they're going to survive by going out to the woods and pitching their tent or their camper and surrounding it with flares and having their AR-15, you're not, you're surviving, you know, being an ethnobotanist, being someone who, who thrives and supposed survives on the land, you're, you're going to want a sustainable, peaceful existence. Long-term sustainability is the answer. And it's not fortifying and becoming violent and taking and defending and killing and pr pr protecting. There's a time for all that. Don't get me wrong, but you're going to need to know how to grow something mm. and help your navel heal. That's the answer, and it starts locally. And while we still have a government and while we still have opportunity and what's left of our law and our constitution, we need to act locally within that uh, paradigm, I, I believe. You need to get to your re recorder's office. You need to get to your, 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 your county attorney or the that's appointed, but your sheriff, your, your every, every local office all the way down, that's your school board, especially your board of supervisors, your planning and zoning. You can elect those people and you make sure they're patriots and you make sure they're, they're, they're maybe even people in your family or maybe even you. That's what we do. And I think that's the answer, bro. I really do. And, and, and put down the phone and go out and get your hands in the dirt and ground yourself out again and go out and buy a six pack of beer and go to your neighbor's house and sit on the porch and talk about the stars. Look up every once in a while. You know, I got to re remind myself of that. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the desert during the, the day touring, but you know, I'm, I'm working. I, I got to re remind myself to go out and uh, me and my girl, we've been going out camping more and more and just sitting around a campfire and talking and looking up and stuff. And it's very important. It's very important. You have to ground out. You got to take a break. You got to keep your own sanity, you know? Yeah. I think all that's important. Well, right on, man. This has been my best episode yet. No disappointments. Everything I expected. Corey, I've been listening to your work for many years now, and you've been a thorough inspiration to stay on a, a straight well, and narrow you. path. Yeah, man, you're doing great work, and, and I definitely don't want you to get down on yourself saying that you, you had a negative message because I feel empowered, and I hope my audience does as well, man. And I encourage them to go Good. to the Phoenix Enigma and check out all your work. And bring this awareness into their life because you've done a lot of work to de-occult that ritual that is keeping so many people in a state of hallucination and disconnection from the real world around us, you know, and, and sometimes it's as easy as just getting out there, like you said, getting your hands dirty and experiencing nature, you know, even if you live in a city, there are places that you can go to vibe with nature. So I encourage the listeners of the show to go do that right now. If you're listening to this during the day, get the hell out of your house. It's nighttime for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to look at the stars and Corey, I hope you have a wonderful night and, and I hope you come back sometime Thanks, soon, man, because this was a blast. Yeah, brother. Give me a call any, any, anytime you want. Right on. We'll keep your head up out there in Arizona. Have fun on the tours. And don't let 
politics get you down because the Freemasons seem to have it on lock over there, man. It's yeah, they do. It's definitely bringing us back. More to talk about soon, man. All right. Thanks, brother. Take All it right. easy. Take care. Thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Wow, what an episode. Show Corey Daniels some love at phoenixenigma.com and show us some love at myfamilythinksimcrazy.com. You can give us a one-time donation. You can support us on Patreon. And if you do support us on Patreon, you'll get a whole bunch of bonus audio episodes. And uh, if you like the video stuff, we got a lot of video content on Patreon. We also have some on uh, our YouTube channel. If you're listening on YouTube, thank you. We appreciate you. But please listen on a app like Podcast Addict. That's my favorite app. And uh, Rockfin. Rockfin's another cool place where you can support the show. Float app is another place f-l-o-t-e you can also show us some love on instagram and be sure to join our telegram community we got about 30 folks in there now and uh it's going strong i'd love to see you there thank you for listening to this show and have a great moment wherever you are in the now peace Something more bloodstream.